Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Here in Philippians chapter one, you know, I, I feel like I've referred to this book a lot recently, and it's probably because I've been in it a lot recently. A lot of what you get is what God's showing me, amen? And um, I just love this book, the book of Philippians. You know, a little history on the Philippian church, that's uh, who Paul is writing to, is the church at Philippi. And this is the church that was actually uh, born in Acts chapter 16. If you remember uh, Lydia, and um, this was the passage where Paul and Silas ended up imprisoned, and uh, they actually were imprisoned and beaten, put in stocks. And this is the account where they worshiped at midnight, right? They began singing to God and earthquake comes, shakes open the prison cells, the prison doors. And, um, you know, it's amazing that you could be, you know, behind physical, literal, literal bars, imprisoned, but still be more free than those on the outside. Amen. And that's ultimately what happened and turned that uh, opposition, turned that moment uh, where it looked like sure defeat in the midst of obeying God. You ever been in a, mess, in, in a mess as a result of doing what God called you to do? And uh, that, that's where this story came from. That happened in about A.D. 51. And now the book of uh, Philippians is being written about 10 years later in 61. And uh, this was, they believe, written by Paul back in prison during his first Roman imprisonment. And so a, a, it, it stands to, to reason, no irony at all, that a church that was born out of imprisonment, now their first letter from Paul, they, they're being spoken to. And, and, and this church at Philippi, they, they carried a very missionary zeal. They, they, they really cared for missionaries. And this church cared for Paul uh, more so than any other church. That Really, Paul had a greater, closer relationship uh, with the folks from Philippi and then this church. And he cared for them very deeply. They cared for him uh, through several times throughout this writing, as well as un- other writings, even in Corinthians. Paul alludes to the fact that they sent resources, they sent money, they even sent people. Uh, So they were very close to Paul and were very uh, hopeful that he would come out of this imprisonment. They were very hopeful that they would one day get word that he was released. But honestly, uh, they didn't know if the word that they would get from Paul and about Paul would have a notice of, release or a notice of death that uh, he had been found ultimately guilty and uh, his head had been taken off. They didn't know what they were going to hear. And so you can almost imagine on re- upon receiving this, this letter, this note from Paul, they're wanting to know some things, right? They're wanting to know when you're getting out. Uh, 
you know, they, they deeply cared for him. And so let's just start in verse one and um, kind of see the direction that Paul takes them. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. It's amazing that you can be in prison, but yet your care is for someone else with joy. And um, you get used to seeing that three-letter word all throughout this book. Uh, some theologians have donned it the, the happiest book in the Bible. Uh, you, you, rejoicing and joy and, and your perspective and all these things are just continued throughout the entire book. But you go into verse five for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he, now he's talking about their steadfastness, their, their faithfulness. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I wanna stop right there and highlight something here. He says, being confident. Now he has no certainty. In fact, later on, you know, he, he says, I'm betwixt between the two, whether to go on to be with the Lord, you know, because I know that if I'm absent from this body, I'll be present with him. But I'm also betwixt between the need to remain here with you for your sake. And, uh, you know, as if they're giving him the option, <laughs> as if anybody asked him, hey, Paul, what do you want to do? But he says, ultimately, what he's recognizing here is even though I'm in prison, there's still something you can't take away from me. There's still something that you can enslave me and you can put my hands in chains and you can put me behind bars and you can limit my activity. You can tell me when I'm supposed to eat and when I'm supposed to drink. You can take liberties away from me, but, but there are still some things that I'm gonna hold on to. There are still some freedoms that I enjoy behind these bars. There's still some things that are my decision. You ever heard people say that, that, that you know, people, you, you can't control what people do to you. You can only control how you respond, right? You can only control how you respond to life situations. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know what you woke up with today or this week or what struggles or challenges, uh, uh, you know, you may have uh, even living the life of the believer, the kingdom life, this overcoming victorious life. We just sang about it. Oh, what a savior. But man, sometimes it feels like I need to be saved all over again. Uh, you know, what good is it being saved? I have a, a pile of bills this high. Marriage is a wreck. Finances aren't going the way they're supposed to. I don't even know what I'm doing. Slamming your head against the wall, trying to figure out where life is taking you sometimes. But there's still some control that you have. And that's really why this book is even written in the first place is Paul is trying to help them understand that there's some control that we have to be, take responsibility for. We have to be responsible for. And this, first off right here, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work. 
Now, we, we say around here, you've heard me say a lot, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? I, I, I love sports. I watch a lot of sports. I don't care for all of them, but I end up watching them anyways, especially when you get to, like, playoffs and, and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, how you start something isn't always an indication of where you're going to end up. And usually we're the most excited at the beginning of something and at the end of something. It's usually where our most, our greatest amount of excitement is. But where the excitement begins to wane, and and you notice this even in sports games. um, I notice it probably more so with football than any other sport. At the start of that game, and let me even get a little more specific, college football. Professional NFL football is not on the, the same level as college football. College football, when they start that game, usually that first kickoff, y'all know what I'm talking about, when they're running up and getting ready to kick off, the, I mean, the whole crowd's into it. And man, I mean, from the first hit, they, they take that first guy down that thinks he's going to run it all the way back to start the game out. And he gets slammed, he gets hit and, and knocked out. Your wife's back there. She's over there. Don't, don't, he's, you want to come straight to the front row. I know you. <laughs> don't abandon her. <laughs> I don't want to backslide. Well, we're going to have an altar call here in a minute. You can come down. I'm sure sitting on the back row is the least of your worries. <laughs> That's Pastor Chris. We just mess with him. Amen. But how we start is not always an indication of how we finish. So when God's doing a good work and begins a good work, man, that's awesome. But how many of you know in the middle, things can start to wane and things can start to drag. You get into the second quarter, the third quarter, and then leading up to the end, you know, maybe you start to get some clarity, see, some, see a light at the end of the tunnel, but, 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 but this is a book about the middle. This is a book about what happens when you end up in a place in the middle that doesn't look like where you started and where God promised you would end. That's what this is about. That's what Paul's writing about. He's talking about endurance. He's talking about steadfastness. He's talking about faithfulness. He even brings up the fact of unity with this church. We got to remain in unity. We got to remain together. There are outsiders coming to attack us, Judaizers and and Gnosticism and all these other attacks, even from within. We've got to remain banded together. Let's have this same mind. Let the same mind that was in Christ also be in you And, and, and all these different directions that he's taken the church, but he says right here, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's telling them to be confident. Why? Because the middle doesn't look like it's going to take you where God promised you would end up. I wouldn't, he wouldn't have to encourage them to be confident in this arena if there wasn't something coming against them. Now, he's trying to help them recognize that, look, I'm in chains physically, but, but you cannot find yourself in chains mentally or spiritually. We've been talking about the soul realm a lot here, beginning of the year, and many people, even regardless of the freedoms they enjoy in the external, internally, they're still locked up. Internally, they're still bound. Internally, they're in chains. And so the, 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 the contrast here with Paul is he's saying, I am literally in chains, but I'm free on the inside. 
But if you're not careful, you can be free on the outside and be bound on the inside. That's the irony of, of the whole passage of the whole book of Philippians. That's why he's encouraging them to rejoice, encouraging them to remain in joy, encouraging them to be confident that he who started the work, I know it doesn't look like it right now. I know where you're at right now doesn't look like where you started and it doesn't look like you'll get to finish where God promised you would finish. But he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For my God, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge in all discernment. Notice so far there's no complaining. No grumbling, no telling them how bad the the situation is. No talking about, you know, this soldier did this to me and and I can't believe they've put me here and, 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 you know, I don't understand what God's doing. None of that. I mean, he's encouraging them to continue on. That's when you know you're free. When you can encourage others, even though you may have external afflictions happening in your life. Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now watch this in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You've heard us say this a lot. You've got to turn opposition into opportunity. That's exactly what Paul is taking advantage of in this moment. That he has turned what is direct opposition. That he cannot, what you would think, further the gospel. You would think he's limited. This is a guy that's a missionary. This is a guy that's planting and pastoring churches. This is a guy that loves to be uh, engaged. This is a guy that was knocked off of his horse uh, uh, on his way to kill more Christians and was given an assignment and a mandate by Jesus himself. And so he's saying that this Opposition has actually created an opportunity to minister to a group that I probably wouldn't have had an opportunity to talk to had I not been in this scenario. Right? It's all about perspective. See, no one can rob you of your perspective. You cannot give people control of your perspective. They do not have that power. No one can, no one can take away your perspective of a situation. They can take away rights, they can take away benefits, they can take away uh, freedoms, but they cannot take away your ability to see it a different way, to see what God is really doing. Your perspective 
is your responsibility. My perspective of, of, of struggle is my responsibility. How I see it. You really, they, they have taken everything from him. He's not, he's not enjoying where he's at. You would think he is based upon how he's writing this. But th- this isn't enjoy, en- enjoyment for him. Literally have to be waking up every day wondering, is today the day? Literally, this is his real life struggle. This is what he is, he is facing uh, and this is what he is up against. And it says that his focus is on those in verse 13 so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. <laughs> he's, he's, actually, he's saying what the enemy doesn't realize he did is he actually put me in a position to minister to people that I would have never had access to otherwise. It reminds me of another time the enemy blew it. Because <laughs> he does that a lot, right? Reminds me of another time where the devil thought he won. The devil thought he was victorious. Come on now. God knows. God knows how to get triumph. God knows how to get victory. God knows how to overcome regardless of the circumstance. My external condition and my external situation will not keep me from enjoying a victory. If anything, I'm only being set up and the devil doesn't know he's actually backing himself into a corner. Come on now. You got to get this. This is how God does his work. See, I, you know, I heard, I heard someone call it once uh, playing the long game. You ever heard that? Playing the long game. You're thinking a few moves ahead. God knew what he was doing the whole time. God knew. God knew what the outcome was gonna be. We've gotta get some believers that know what the back of the book says. We've, we've, gotta get, we've gotta get the church to realize and recognize that we are not fighting for a victory, we're fighting from a victory and that anything that comes against me, I'm already an overcomer, but how is God gonna use this situation, use this scenario, use this, 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 this challenge or even this struggle as, as difficult as it may be? but it's a different perspective. And Paul has a different perspective. He says that the whole palace guard, it, it, they've now, it, it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's not what I'm going through, but it's how I'm going through it, is what he's saying. He's saying, you're gonna imprison me? That means you just get to hear me talk about Jesus. You're gonna put me here? You just get to know why I'm really here. Because my essentially what he's saying is, you didn't put me here. God did. 
God didn't physically imprison him, but, but what he's trying to pull out is, look, if I can get perspective about my situation from a prison cell, sure enough, you can. He's writing this to encourage the, he's not writing this to encourage himself. He's already there. He's got it. He's writing this to encourage the Philippian church to continue to press on. And he goes on further. And he talks about the different attacks and the different struggles that he knows the Philippian church is going through. I mean, he even writes on down here that that there are those that are preaching for selfish ambition. You know, that probably had to get at Paul more than anything else. Because Paul's relationship with his father and, and knowing his call to ministry was the greatest thing to him. It was the thing he was the most passionate about. And he would go to any length and go over to 2 Corinthians 11 and read his resume. He'll tell you what he would go through. They once stoned him to death. He died, got back up, and went back into the town and kept on preaching. I would have I, I, called it quits. I would have shook it off and said, God, you, you, all right, I've done well. I've done well. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I'd be like, why'd you resurrect me? I was done. I was, I was up there with you. Don't send me back down there. <laughs> Just leave me. I've, I've, done, I've preached. They hurt me. They killed me. Move on to heaven. And Paul's like, nope. Goes right back in. Shipwrecked. Beaten imprisoned. I mean, all the, he he said that obviously there were outside attacks, but then those that would attack him on the inside. And then he wraps it all up and he says, and my daily concern for the churches. Like I'm still concerned about their well-being and and that weighs on me. That's a burden on me. That's a weight on me. I, I, I feel the weight of caring for these churches that I have planted and that I have pastored. And so he says, Uh, that it's become evident to all, to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's he's making a a prose list of what, what good has come since my imprisonment. What, what, what are the benefits of this? Can you do that? Can you sit down with a blank piece of notebook paper and a pen in the midst of your trial and in the midst of your struggle and write down the pros? Not cons. I, I didn't even say pros, cons. That's what we would do. And we have like, you know, one pro and like 18 cons. And he's just got a pros list. Let me tell you of all the good things that have happened since I have been imprisoned here in Rome. And let me tell you how this is gonna help you. And so verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. Notice they're both preaching Christ. It's not what they're saying, but it's how they're saying it. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my chains. But the latter, out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. I underline that in in my Bible, every way. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, he's not certain of the outcome, literally, but he is confident that Christ will be preached. And he's confident that that his deliverance either way, whether through life or through death, will further the gospel. So he says that deliverance through prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. There it is. He doesn't know. It, it, it's, it's weird to use those two words opposite of one another. He's not certain of the outcome, but he's confident of what it will do. He's confident whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be preached. The gospel will be advanced. He says this, for me to live, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you know that he's contemplating the outcome. He doesn't have his head in the sand, like, I'm getting out of here. I know, you know, I'm not gonna. He is contemplating the very brash uh, opportunity of his death taking place right here. This might be the last thing you hear from me. That's a very real thing to Paul. Amen. And so uh, he says, for to me, To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Choose. What is he talking about? Nobody's giving him a choice. Nobody came in and said, what do you want to do today, Paul? You want to live or you want to die? That's not a choice. No one's asking you that question. But yet he still recognizes I have a choice in the matter. He said, you can even take my life, but I choose how I lay it down. I choose if I lay it down and grumbling and complaining. I choose if I go out wishing this would have never happened. I choose if I blame God for everything that's come against me. I choose, or I can choose to rejoice. I can choose to have an expectation. I can choose to have a hope. I can choose that even if I die, that my, that my life will glorify Christ. I choose. You cannot take that away from me. For I am hard pressed between the two. So he's saying, I've got a decision. I, you know, I could easily just go on, be with the Lord. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. That's pretty open. And again, you're the Philippian church hoping that he's coming back, and this is what you're hearing him say. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, 
to remain in the flesh, watch this, is more needful for you. More needful for you. See, Paul had a motive behind the cause. Paul had a motive behind the cause. He knew this was a cause for Christ, but he pictured every single one of those faces. He pictured every single one of those people. And he planted this church and started this church. He, he pictured all the journeys that he's been on. He pictured uh, you know, all the opportunities he's had to further the gospel. And he's also picturing those that he hasn't even reached yet that he knows he's called to reach. There's a motive here. See, when we lose our motive, we forget the cause. When we lose our motive for enduring, right? Because we, we do this all the time. Joy, oh yeah, I, I, I have joy, you know, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, you know, and then we're trying to work up our joy. See, joy for Paul was a byproduct, not a goal. He wasn't trying to get joy. He said, I have joy when I pray for you. Praying for you gives me joy. He wasn't doing it to get joy. See, so many times when we're in the midst of a, a, a struggle or a trial, we're, we're trying to get joy. That's our focus. I just need to be joyful. I'm, no, no, no. Paul said joy was a result of remembering what my cause was, remembering why I am called to do what I'm called to do, remembering the purpose behind it. You know, that's the crazy thing about uh, uh, purpose. You know that the purpose of something or the purpose for something actually exists before the creation of it. I'll say that again. The purpose for something exists before the creation of something. You don't create something and then say, hmm, what's this for? No, you get the purpose for it in your mind and then you create the thing. That's what God did in the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, when he created man. Before he created man, there was a purpose for man. There was a reason for man. And so what happens was we get that backwards. We forget why we exist. We forget what our purpose is. We forget what we're striving for. We forget what we're fighting for. I tell you right now, the greatest things in life, you'll have to fight for them. The greatest things that you will ever obtain in life, you will have to be intentional about. They will not walk into your life accidentally. They will not just show up uh, because you're there and because you exist. There, is, there are forces fighting against what God has called you to do. Paul knew he had a purpose. So he knew before I existed, there was a reason for my existence, right? God said, I've known you even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And guess what he knew even before he knew you? He knew why you would be needed. You're necessary in this planet. You're necessary in this earth. You're necessary. You have a call and a destiny and a purpose given to you by a creator. And what's great about that is there's a reason why I need to keep fighting. There's a reason why I need to keep pushing. There's a reason why. So you gotta get your motive back. When you get your motive, then your joy will follow that. 
We lose our joy when we lose our motive, when we lose our reason, when we lose our purpose. Okay? So they couldn't take Paul's perspective. And now we're seeing they can't take Paul's purpose. Nobody can take away your purpose. Nobody has access to that. No one can deny you of fulfilling your purpose. No one, it, it, it doesn't matter where you end up. It just means that you're fulfilling your purpose in a different outlet. Maybe different than what you thought. Maybe different than the plan that you had in place. But God has a purpose for your life. You know, there's something that actually shows up even before purpose. Problem. Yep, that's the one we don't like. (laughs) To think that the reason why I exist was because there was a purpose, but the reason why the purpose exists was because there was a problem. Purpose always is a solution to a problem. Purpose is a solution to a problem. Paul is recognizing here I have a motive, I have a cause, I have a purpose. They can't take away my purpose. And there's a problem that exists that needs me to continue on in my purpose. Again, he's hard pressed between the two. He's contemplating, he's thinking, of, he's putting it in words. He's vulnerable, he is, he is open, he is transparent with this church. He's letting them know, I could go on and be with the Lord and it would be far better than what I'm enduring right now. I, I, I could, and look, we may not have the conversation going on and being with the Lord, but we all have exit plans out of whatever the purpose is that God's called us to. The lay down and surrender and I can't take it anymore and, 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 and the pressure is greater than what I have on the inside of me to fight against it. And, and, and I'm weary and I'm tired. We all have those moments. It may not literally, I mean, I recognize that's very real for some people to just say, you know what, I'm laying it down. I'm done. I can't go on anymore. But sometimes we want to lay down our marriages. Sometimes we want to lay down our, our agendas. Sometimes we want to lay down the cause of Christ, whatever it is. We're always, why? Because that is pressure coming against the purpose. The enemy's not really after you. He's after the purpose. He's after your purpose. And he recognizes if I take you out, I take out the purpose as well. You're really a means to an end for the devil. You're a means to an end for the enemy. Because there's something on the inside of you he's afraid of. There's something on the inside of you he's scared of. There's something on the inside of you that if you only knew what he knew about you, you wouldn't lay down. If you only knew how great you are, if you only knew what, 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 was, what was placed inside of you, the potential and the ability and the call and the assignment that God has placed on your life, you're important. You've got so much to give that the world has yet to see, hear, read, discover about you. And the devil knows it's in there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He tried to overthrow God. He got a third of the angels to go with him. The first church split. Right there, in heaven. 
in heaven. And so he says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh. Nevertheless, to remain in this marriage. Nevertheless, to remain in this fight. Nevertheless, to remain in this struggle. Nevertheless, to remain in this challenge. It is more needful for you. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for the cause. And here it is again, verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Worship team, if you'd come back up. I just wanna do what I feel led by the Holy Spirit this evening. If we could just do that song again. It's a very simple message. It's really more of an evening of participation rather than just hearing me. And I don't know who it's for. I just got to go with what the Lord is saying. That discouragement, a lack of confidence, questioning potential, questioning purpose. And look, I know that we can all to some degree fall into this category. But I want to put it this way. If, if the enemy has been hammering away at your effectiveness, your purpose, your assignment, I want to minister to you today. The Holy Spirit will minister, but I want to I want to just take an opportunity that we can all be reminded that there's greatness inside of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.